5: that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. Well, today is the day we're going to be talking about our CIA and our right to privacy and the history of um, our deep state, really. Uh, We have a deep state, uh, and it seems like there's two standards of justice. We know that there's a lot of stuff that's going on with the Biden administration and we know that our government is being controlled by outside money and influences um NGOs uh non-governmental organizations uh that are financed by people like George Soros and and corporations and leaders at the World Economic Forum that have great influence over our mockingbird media and uh and uh And our electorate, you know, our politicians. And we know that there are black markets and we know that there are governments that are participating in a lot of shady, underhanded deals. We know that our CIA has used organizations and agencies and departments like our State Department, which uses the CIA to strong arm other government leaders with threats of assassination and uh, financial ruin. Uh, We have the ability to overthrow governments and kick people out of office and spread rumors like the Russian hoax. And every step of the way, the FBI is infiltrating uh, a perfectly normal rally like a J6 and turn it into an insurrection to prevent some candidate that they don't like from running for office because they're not kissing the ring of the Bilderbergs and the Rothschilds and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the corporate money from BlackRock and Vanguard. We talk about this stuff all the time. You know, we see our open borders and we know what that's about. We see our election fraud happening. We know what that's about. We, ha- we see it all around us. And we should never forget that we are citizens who make this country great by paying taxes and investing in our future, our children's future. So, there is a lot of problems when we're not being represented properly. I mean, they had a revolution over the Tea Party. I mean, uh, basically taxed too much. The Boston Tea Party. I mean, there's so many bigger problems today. And when we look at some of the tactics that we don't understand— whether it was MK Ultra that inspired Sirhan Sirhan to kill Robert Kennedy or the CIA to uh, basically assassinate Martin Luther King or uh, whether it was the CIA or their rogue agents in the mafia that murdered JFK, we're not even going to get into all the different conspiracy theories. We could talk about the South Knoll. We could talk about the fact that JFK was wearing a back brace that kept him upright. We could talk about the decisions the Secret Service made to go take the route that they did with the bubble uh, top off the car and all these things. That's not the exercise here. The exercise here is to come to a realization that we have a shadow government running our country. That is the big problem, and that is the point of this exercise today. So we have, you know, who is running our country? Is it Jake Sullivan? Is it Barack Obama? Is it Michael Carpenter who's pulling the puppet strings for Joe Biden? Who is running our country? Is it the State Department? Is it our diplomats? Certainly, our diplomats were instrumental in trying to impeach President Trump. And successfully, they did in the House. And then it gave power and leverage to to anti-Trumpers like Lindsey Graham, who got a lot of stuff from Trump so that he didn't—because uh, he was empowered— to basically vote against Trump and throw Trump out of office. He held the keys, and he he, he tried to turn Trump into a puppet. The chairman of the board, the CEO, for, for crimes he never did, the J6 crime. If you listen to what Trump said, there was no crime there. He called for peace, protest Peacefully. The call with Ukraine was a perfectly good call. And we know that the Russian hoax was nothing but a hoax. Taken from the same playbook as what they ousted Nixon for, which was Watergate. The same exact playbook, folks. The Democrats are socialists or communist sympathizers going after a popular president like Nixon was and like Trump was to overthrow them, to get them to make a mistake and cover something up and get them on obstruction and throw them out of office. We have a very sinister, evil set of liberals in the State Department, the CIA, using USAID money. Right now we have Samantha Power, the person who was the UN ambassador, that unmasked General Flynn and a whole bunch of other people, with his call with Kislyak, doing unprecedented things to try to sabotage the next presidential administration, which was going from Obama to Trump. And they sabotaged it every step of the way, those scoundrels, those evildoers. Barack Hussein, Obama. Obama. And his disciples that are still pulling the puppet strings today over a completely maniacal Joe Biden, a criminal run by his crack son, Hunter Biden. And we know nothing about the laptop. We know nothing about the list who's on the Jeffrey Epstein list of all these so-called powerful people. And there's murder in the streets, and there's murder in our towns. There's drug overdoses all over the place. There's so many problems. And this is what you get when you have a shadow government running our country, rigging our elections, and coercing media and politicians. So we're going to get started with this because there's a lot of clips today, but I wanted to give you an understanding as to how I'm approaching this because it's kind of crazy. It started really with the new release of these documents, the CIA documents that uh, surrounded the JFK assassination back in um, December, I think it was, and they were releasing these documents back in November, December. And they went through them, and they wouldn't release them all. But what they did release told us that, CIA, that Oswald was CIA. It was clear, unequivocated. Oliver Stone was right. And there's just so much more to it. But the part that I didn't know about was this woman named Ruth Payne, who's still alive. She's 90, 91 years old. And, um, and Michael Payne, her husband... They were all connected with the CIA in so many different ways, and you get—you know—it's not by coincidence that these things happen. A couple of little Quakers in Irvington, Irving, living in a suburban town in Irving, Texas. What are they doing connected with the CIA the way they were? And you know they would just blend into the community, but yet they were millionaires connected with the Forbes family. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And so I thought Tucker Carlson did a really great presentation on this. We're going to play that. We have a lot of clips. We're, I don't even think we're going to be able to get through them all um, because they're kind of long, too, some of them. But we're going to get to this one Tucker clip here. And then I got something interesting for you because Tucker Carlson's dad was also CIA. CIA. And that when he starts to talk about his source, told him unequivocally it was CIA, it was more than likely his father, who's still alive at 81, 82 years old. Let's take a listen to Tucker's um, op- uh, open about this subject. And we're also going to tie it in to uh, Watergate. So, where do you see what—Watergate, wa- I think, was inspired— by the CIA's underhanded assassinations and coups against our country and the cover-up. So again, let's take a listen to this.
6: So not long after Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald on camera in the basement of Dallas police headquarters, a lot of Americans started to have some questions about the Kennedy assassination. It was, you'd have to admit, a pretty extraordinary sequence of events. A lone gunman murders the president of the United States and then less than 48 hours later, That lone gunman is himself murdered by another lone gunman. What are the odds of that? It's one thing if you get struck by lightning, rare but possible. But if every member of your family also gets struck by lightning all on different days, you might begin to suspect these are not entirely natural events. But oh, replied the U.S. government, they are. This bizarre chain of killings was all entirely natural. So less than a year after the JFK assassination, the Johnson White House released something called the Warren Commission Report. And the report concluded that while their motives remained unclear, both Lee Oswald and Jack Ruby had acted alone. No one helped them. There was no conspiracy of any kind. Case closed. Time to move on. And many, many Americans did move on. At the time, they had no idea how shoddy and corrupt the Warren Commission was. It would be nearly 50 years before the CIA admitted under duress that in fact it had withheld information from investigators about its relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. But even then at the time, before that was known, the government's explanation didn't seem entirely plausible and some people started asking obvious questions about it. It was at that point, as Americans started to doubt the official story, that the term conspiracy theory entered our lexicon. As Professor Lance DeHaven-Smith points out in his book on the subject, the term conspiracy theory did not exist as a phrase in everyday American conversation before 1964. In 1964, the year the Warren Commission issued its report, the New York Times published five stories in which conspiracy theory appeared. Now today, of course, the term conspiracy theory appears in pretty much every New York Times story about American politics. It's wielded, now as then, as a weapon against anyone who asks questions the government doesn't feel like answering. But despite 60 years of name calling, those questions have not disappeared. In fact, they have multiplied with time. And here's one of them. In April of 1964, a psychiatrist called Louis Joylin West visited Jack Ruby in his isolation cell in a Dallas jail. According to West's written assessment, He found that Jack Ruby was, quote, "...technically insane and in need of immediate psychiatric hospitalization." Those are conclusions that, puzzlingly, no one who had spoken to Jack Ruby previously had reached. Ruby had seemed perfectly sane to the people who knew him. Louis Joyland West pronounced him crazy. But what what West did not say was that he was working for the CIA at the time. Louis Joyland West was a contract psychiatrist for the spy agency. He was also an expert on mind control and a prominent player in the now infamous MK Ultra program in which the CIA gave powerful psychiatric drugs to Americans without their knowledge. So of all the psychiatrists in the world, what in the world was this guy doing in Jack Ruby's prison cell? The media did not seem interested in finding out. In fact, the New York Times, in an extensive 1999 obituary of West, never mentioned the fact that he had worked for the CIA, much less his time in Jack Ruby's cell which seems relevant. So you can see why non-crazy people would wonder about what really happened. And of course, many have wondered. In 1976, long forgotten, the House of Representatives impaneled a special committee to reinvestigate the JFK assassination. Their bipartisan conclusion? Jack Kennedy was almost certainly murdered as the result of a conspiracy. But the question is, a conspiracy by whom? Well, the obvious suspect would be the CIA. Why else would the agency withhold critical evidence from investigators? Is there a benign explanation for that? For maintaining this level of secrecy for this many years? Not that we're aware of. And it is illegal. In 1992, Congress passed the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act. That act mandated full disclosure of all documents by 2017, 54 years after JFK was killed. The last administration promised to comply fully with that law, but under intense pressure from CIA Director Mike Pompeo, withheld in the end thousands of pages of CIA documents. Today, this afternoon, the Biden administration did exactly the same thing. That would be thousands of pages of documents after nearly 60 years, after the death of every single person involved. But we still can't see them it's not to protect any person. They're all dead. It's to protect an institution. But why? Well, today we decided to find out. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, The answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake.
5: Now, before we go on with that, let's take a listen to something else here, because this is quite interesting. Um, This is where you're going to find that the person that is that source happens to be uh, happens to be the, uh, the, the Tucker's far, father. So we're going to get to that here in just a second, right here. Let's take a listen to this.
2: But Peter Noyes, here's the thing about Peter Noyes. Peter Noyes wrote a book called um, Legacy of Doubt, and the book is really a hatchet job on Jim Garrison. A lot of these guys were deep state newsmen, and they hated Jim Garrison's guts. But he was at ABC, where he was partners with another guy who was his uh, investigative team. Now, this guy in the photo did on-air stuff. Peter Noyes was not on.
5: Okay, so the guy that did the on-air stuff is named Richard Warner Carlson. Richard Warner Carlson. Okay, let's take a listen
2: on air. This guy was on air. He was on air for ABC News for a number of years in Southern California. Peter Noyes later goes to CBS News, local. This is uh, KNXT. But here it was KABC, where this guy uh, had a talk show and news show. And his partner was Peter Noyes. His investigative managing editor was Peter Noyes. This guy will go on to become friends with Ford and others. Uh, a little later in his life, he'll run for mayor of San Diego. He'll become head of Voice of America. He became head of uh, USAID. Uh, he is the father of an obscure guy today who is on Fox News named Tucker Carlson. So we've come full circle, my friends. We started out with Jim Braden, and we've come full circle to Tucker Carlson, who said the CIA killed Kennedy last week based on documents and a source that he – considers to be close to him and irrefutable. And that, I think, is the father, Dick Carlson. And Dick Carlson will have his wife leave. His French wife flees the family in La Jolla, where they settle. And he marries the heir to the Swanson uh, frozen food empire, who becomes Tucker's mom. And Tucker is then put through private school, and lives the life of Riley because of the mom, the father who is shown there was a Marine, a real tough guy and becomes the head of voice of America and works in the Ford. And, um, I want to say Reagan administration. I think the Reagan administration puts him into the voice of America, which brings us back to Reagan and Ed Meese and Casey, who becomes the head of the CIA coming full circle. Um, where they with Jolly West last week when Reagan wanted to put that insane asylum in the missile silo in San and in, in, in Santa Monica mountains and uh, Bill Casey and him said, if I ever become president, he said to Bill Casey, uh, we're going to fund things like this.
5: So, you know, there's a, a lot of intertwining going on there. Right. And Jolly West, you know, uh, we, we already heard about Jolly West, Jolly West, all of a sudden is the guy that's in the cell privately with um, Jack Ruby, right? (laughs) Just before Jack Ruby is about to testify in his appeal. And everybody else thought that Jack Ruby was just fine, right? So it's kind of interesting there. And to tie that in, uh, let's continue with this Tucker thing piece right? really quick.
6: It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a, quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to. Not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Now, some people will not be surprised to hear that. They suspected it all along. But no matter how you feel about or what you thought about the Kennedy assassination, pause to consider what this means. It means that within the U.S. government, there are forces wholly beyond democratic control.
5: And that's the problem, right? So let's move on, Um, because here's another angle that's kind of interesting. Let's take a listen to how um, the Watergate involves in this and how... Bob Woodward was former CIA and we're trying to get this thing to play, right? So let's see if we can do that.
6: It's not the democracy you imagine. We're seeing that now. So if you want to understand, if you really want to understand how the American government actually works at the highest levels, and if you want to know why they don't teach history anymore, One thing you should know is that the most popular president in American history was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. Yet somehow, without a single vote being cast by a single American voter, Richard Nixon was kicked out of office and replaced by the only unelected president in American history. So we went from the most popular president to a president nobody voted for.
5: And that would be Gerald Ford, correct? And we just heard... That his father, Tucker Carlson's father, Dick Carlson, worked with and for Gerald Ford, also worked for America, Voice of America, also worked for USAID, which is basically a front for the CIA and the State Department. You see what I mean? That's what that's all about.
6: Wait a minute, you may ask. Why didn't I know that? Wasn't Richard Nixon a criminal? Wasn't he despised by all decent people? (laughs) No, he wasn't. In fact, if any president could claim to be the people's choice, it was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was reelected in 1972 by the largest margin of the popular vote ever recorded before or since. Nixon got 17 million more votes than his opponent. Less than two years later, he was gone. He was forced to resign. And in his place, an obedient servant of the federal agencies called Gerald Ford took over the White House. How did that happen? What's well, a long story, but here are the highlights, and they tell you a lot. Richard Nixon believed that elements in the federal bureaucracy were working to undermine the American system of government, and had been doing that for a long time. He often said that. He was absolutely right. On June 23, 1972, Nixon met with the then-CIA director, Richard Helms, at the White House. During the conversation, which thankfully was tape-recorded, Nixon suggested he knew, quote, who shot John, meaning President John F. Kennedy. Nixon further implied that the CIA was directly involved in Kennedy's assassination, which we now know it was. Helms's telling response? Total silence. But for Nixon, it didn't matter because it was already over. Four days before, on June 19th, the Washington Post had published the first of many stories about a break-in at the Watergate office building. Unbeknownst to Nixon and unreported by the Washington Post, four of the five burglars worked for the CIA. The first of many dishonest Watergate stories was written by a 29-year-old Metro reporter called Bob Woodward. Who exactly was Bob Woodward? Well, he wasn't a journalist. Bob Woodward had no background whatsoever in the news business. Instead, Bob Woodward came directly from the classified areas of the federal government. Shortly before Watergate, Woodward was a naval officer at the Pentagon. He had a top-secret clearance. He worked regularly with the intel agencies. At times, Woodward was even detailed to the Nixon White House, where he interacted with Richard Nixon's top aides. Soon after leaving the Navy, for reasons that have never been clear, Woodward was hired by the most powerful news outlet in Washington and assigned the biggest story in the country. And just to make it crystal clear what was actually happening, Woodward's main source for his Watergate series was the deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt. And Mark Felt ran, and we're not making this up, The FBI's COINTELPRO program, which was designed to secretly discredit political actors the federal agencies wanted to destroy. People like Richard Nixon. And at the same time, those same agencies were also working to take down Nixon's elected vice president, Spiro Agnew. In the fall of 1973, Agnew was indicted for tax evasion and forced to resign. His replacement was a colorless congressman from Grand Rapids called Gerald Ford. What was Ford's qualification for the job? Well, he had served on the Warren Commission, which absolved the CIA of responsibility for President Kennedy's murder. Nixon was strong-armed into accepting Gerald Ford by Democrats in Congress. Quote, we gave Nixon no choice but Ford, Speaker of the House Carl Albert later boasted. Eight months later, Gerald Ford of the Warren Commission was the president of the United States. See how that works? So those are the facts, not speculation. All of that actually happened.
5: It's true. And uh, you know when you think about Reagan picking uh, Herbert Walker Bush, uh, Stefan Halper was S- Herbert Walker Bush's political advisor, much like Kofor Black was Mitt Romney's political advisor. And Mitt Romney, uh, Kofor Black served on the board of Barisma, was uh, CIA uh, deputy director, uh, was also helping Mitt Romney make a lot of money in Afghanistan in, in that war. Um. And Stefan Hopper was one of the uh, people they called the Walrus that helped get Carter Page and George Papadopoulos involved in the uh, uh, spy ring with the, uh, the Brits and uh, Mr. Dear Love and a whole bunch of other people to perpetuate this Russian hoax. And um, there's a New York Times article from the UPI Uh, That uh, In 1983 it was written, and you can look it up, and um, Stefan Halper was considered to be a mole within the Reagan White House and wanted to change over the chief of staff, which was James Baker at the time. And when you think about his involvement then wanting to get involved in the Trump administration, it's no different. These are spooks that walk among us uh, uh Stefan Hopper lives over in Fairfax in a little country inn you know um you wouldn't think anything of it but here's uh Frank Sturgis in nineteen seventy seven interviewed by none other than bill O'Reilly when bill O'Reilly was young and here's what frank Sturgis he was one of the plumbers he was former c i a and he was involved with the Bay of Pigs as well um and here's what he had to say. About Watergate and the CIA.
3: They were involved up to their eyeballs. They knew everything that the plumbers were doing. Who was Deep Throat? Uh, Robert uh, Bennett, I believe.
5: Well, see, now the movie says Mark Felt was uh, Deep Throat, but Robert Bennett was actually Mark Felt's boss.
0: Right.
3: President of the Mullins Company. Plus, he's a C- he was a CIA uh, official.
5: And so you got that, Pet Bennett, right? President of the Mullins Company. The Mullins Company was a front for the CIA.
3: Mullins Company was used as a front for Central Intelligence okay. Agency.
0: Why would he leak information about Watergate?
3: He was ordered to by uh, the director of CIA. Richard Helms. Richard Helms at that time.
0: Okay, who is leaking information to the CIA from inside the White House?
3: Howard Hunt uh, did have an office uh, in the White House, all right? Uh, You had Butterfield there. Butterfield was CIA? Well, I'd say personally that uh, Butterfield uh, probably had a uh, good possibility that he had an association with uh, uh, CIA uh, officials. You had uh, General um, Haig.
0: General Haig and to the CIA.
3: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Sturgis says the combined information from Hunt, Butterfield, and Haig was edited by the CIA and fed to Bennett who then gave most of it to Bob Woodward of the Washington Post. Sturgis goes on to say that the decision to politically ruin Nixon was made after Nixon demanded to see CIA files on the Bay of Pigs, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and most importantly, the file on the assassination of President Kennedy.
3: Several times the President asked uh, Mr. Helms for the file and Mr. Helms refused direct order from the President of the United States.
0: Why, what good would that do Richard Nixon to get those
3: files? I believe that that Nixon uh, would have uncovered uh, uh, the true facts uh, that had been covered up for many years about the assassination of the president, It would take the heat off of him on Watergate.
0: Do you think that Richard Nixon was ever in any physical danger?
3: Yes, absolutely. He's lucky he didn't get killed. He's lucky he didn't get assassinated like President Kennedy got assassinated.
5: There it is. That and that, that guy, Frank Sturgis. He's a real thug, real criminal, but uh, a lot of people vouch for his uh, accuracy on these things. All right. So we got two more. Uh, we got a bunch of stuff actually for you. But uh, I wanna. I wanna take a. Li- what this is all about? Uh, Glenn Greenwald spoke to this, and what this is all about is is about transparency and who's running our government. Let's take a listen to this. The other reason was that
7: most of the archive was just boring. It was banal and uninteresting. And what was so amazing about that fact, I'm talking about instructions on how to get parking credentials at NSA facilities or how to put in requests for vacation, uh, days, or uh, how did, how, what kind of staffing would be at the lowest levels of NSA on the administrative level. These kind of documents that have no interest to anybody, they're just even too boring to want to read. Every one of those documents was marked top secret or classified or secret. Meaning they were it, would, it was a crime to reveal them, even though they are not conceivably sensitive in any way. And what does this show? Something very important. It shows that the U.S. security state regards everything they do, everything they do, as presumptively secret. That's not how that's supposed to work, classified information. We're supposed to have a government that is presumptively transparent. We're supposed to have access to everything the government is doing, except in those rare cases, when they need to make it secret, for legitimate reasons like troop movements or to protect things that are genuinely sensitive to national security. Or Let me put this another way, a kind of broader and more principled way. I think this is the crucial point to understand if you think about it this way. And it's a reason why I talk so much about the U.S. security state and the dangers it poses. If you think about a healthy society, how a healthy democracy functions, we would know, we the citizenry, would know essentially everything that our government is doing. That's why they're called public servants or the public sector. It's supposed to be public and open and transparent. We're supposed to know what our government is doing because they're doing it with our money and in our name and it's supposed to be a democracy which can only happen if we know what our government is doing so we can make informed decisions. And by contrast, they're supposed to know basically nothing about us. That's why we're called private citizens. Our lives are supposed to be private. So in very rare cases, we should know everything what the government is doing, except in those rare cases, when they have a legitimate right to secrecy. And except in very rare cases, like when they get a search warrant because they can prove that we're likely to have been involved in a crime, they're not supposed to know anything about us. We're supposed to be private citizens. They're not supposed to keep dossiers on us.
5: And that's how it's supposed to work, folks. And we, we should never lose sight of that. Okay? That's what this show is all about, really, right here. All right, so um, George Bush was involved in the CIA as far back as before the JFK assassination. And here's what his take is on the CIA. And then we're going to take a listen to uh, this guy, Angleton, uh, James Angleton, James uh, Jesus Angleton, they call them. And his take, and he was a basically an assassin uh, spy uh, that oversaw assassinations and things like that. All right, so let's take a listen to um, to this. Can I tell you a little story, please? When, I, when I came
0: here, one journalist said, anybody dumb enough to accept the job is too dumb to do it. He got a great laugh from people because it's a kind of a funny line, let's face it. But God, I said to myself... How sad for our country when we're facing some tough, tough opposition in this world uh, to 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 take such a, a cynical view of intelligence uh, in 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 the nineteen seventy six time. I I you know he got his laugh and I got my little hurt inside from it, but it made me determined that. I'm going to approach this job with pride and they can have all the jokes they want on television about the CIA. It's vital to the national security of the United States. And I feel so dedicated and strongly about it that I just wanted to wedge that in, apropos and no question you've asked. How long are you going to stay? I serve at the pleasure of the president. I understand that. How long are you going to stay? I'm going to stay as long as the president wants me to stay, Mike. Yeah. There's no politics in this thing for me. Good heavens. You'd have to be hallucinating to think there was any political mileage in this kind of a job.
5: Well, that was all a lie because that was uh, he was working for Car under the Carter years. That was nineteen seventy seven, seventy six. Um, and uh, here's what uh, a reporter from the Nation said about uh, George Bush, Herbert Walker Bush. Yes.
1: Vice President George Bush's resume is his most highly touted asset as a candidate. But a recently discovered FBI memorandum raises the possibility that, like many resumes, it uh, raises that possibility, but like many resumes, it admits some facts the applicant would rather not talk about, specifically, that he worked for the Central Intelligence Agency in 1963, more than a decade before he became its director. Why did you care about this? Well, I... uh Originally, I was researching the Kennedy assassination, and I was looking through FBI files that were uh, released about 10 years ago under the Freedom of Information Act, and uh, I just came across George Bush's name, and it was a surprise to me. I didn't really know that he was with the CIA back then.
5: So right there, and then he, he followed that up, and nobody could come up with another George Bush that worked there. So it was clearly George Bush. Now, this guy, James Angleton... Real dirtbag. Um, basically, uh, this guy's all about assassinations. He was an amazing alcoholic. I mean, he drank himself to death, actually. But here's what he had to say about the CIA. Tell me this doesn't sound similar to what Herbert Walker Bush said.
0: But you don't have to be a great or large or wealthy country to have a good intelligence service. As long as you have the norms as long as you have the disciplines, as long as you have the motivation, the singleness of purpose. You can be a small service, have one great penetration, then you can move the world. Why do we need intelligence at all? For survival. Fundamentally for survival.
1: Have you any regrets
0: about going? Under the circumstances, I have no regrets. But I regret not being in CIA. You miss it? Totally. For some, James Angleton's vision
1: of the world is uncompromising, belligerent, frightening. The view of the cold warrior.
5: Yeah, that's James Angleton. So, you know, he was just all about being a spook. Now, here, getting back to the JFK assassination. So, you know, you got these guys like George Moren More More Morensheld, and, and um, and then you have uh, the Paines. These Paines are supposed to be these Quakers in Irvington Te- Irving Texas. Turns out they're millionaires. They're connected. Uh, to the CIA ring in every shape, way, shape, and form. Let's take a listen to this exchange with Ruth Payne. She's still alive, by the way, 90, 91 years old. Um,
1: You studied Russian? Yes. When did you first begin to study Russian?
8: I think it was around uh, 57. I had been working with a young Quaker group that was interested in cultural exchange.
1: Yes, it just happened. Uh, just a coincidence that you chose Russian as a, a language of your interest. That's just a no, coincidence? it wasn't a
8: coincidence at all. I'm telling you, that's because I felt that was it was really important to communicate yes. among between our countries, in particular. This was your era, era of the uh, Cold War. So
1: well, okay. It just is a coincidence that um, you befriended. Uh, the wife of the man who was later charged with the murder of our president. Uh, that's all a coincidence, too, isn't it? Well. Yes. And is it a coincidence that it was you, Mrs. Um, yes. Payne? Yeah. Yes? Who directed lee to the job that put him in the texas schoolbook depository
8: yes i think that was clearly a coincidence
1: and it's just a coincidence that the gun that supposedly killed the president was located in your house that's coincidence isn't it
8: what do you mean coincidence
1: i mean it just happened it's just all of these things just sort of happened all around you that's coincidence you did give the fbi a letter that was supposed to have been written by a lead of the Soviet Embassy, didn't you?
8: This was a uh, draft of a letter that he left on my desk that yes. concerned me very deeply because I could see he was lying in it. He and left- he used my typewriter and that he- offended me deeply. <laughs>
1: He left, it offended you that, that he lied on That he'd been on lying on my letter.
8: typewriter, that's right. Uh, I didn't know who he was writing. The letter just said, dear sirs.
1: And he left it right there for you he to see? He left it on
8: my desk. I don't know why he left it there. Yes. Doesn't it seemed it seem... just as strange as his leaving the light on in the garage.
1: Well, now, let a minute. wait a minute. We'll get to the light in the garage in just a minute. Now, Mrs. Payne, I want to tell you something. I've talked to you about mere coincidences. But yes, you can see... a
8: no guilt by association.
5: Yes, invitation.
1: you can see how when I place
5: yeah well that that that's interesting there's more to that there's a lot more to that um that she found the gun she found uh she she carted the gun she wrote this letter she uh there was a slip that fell out um all these things so you know a lot of people will say well she was a spy and uh it's very very possible that she was a spy um more than likely she was. Her sister was, her father was, all connected with the CIA. Her husband was. And uh and and not only that, but um Marina uh Oswald's new husband was also connected with the CIA. And her husband, Michael Payne, uh Ruth Payne's husband, also benefited directly by the Huey helicopter worked for Bell Helicopters, but then also made a boondoggle off of the Vietnam War with the Huey, which was the number one helicopter being sold for that war effort. So let's take a listen to uh, a couple of other things here. All right, so we got this.
2: She said she wanted uh, Ruth Payne, of course, uh, living in Irving, Texas, wanted uh, you know Marina to come over to teach her um, Russian.
6: Really? Well, I mean, everybody has to learn
2: Russian. didn't?
8: We? We did
6: uh, unfortunately that,
2: for the story, she taught the language of Russian at a school in Dallas and was an instructor in Russian. So the <laughs> idea that she had to learn Russian right out of that video is preposterous.
6: Yeah, I know. You know, a good point, because people probably were more actually qualified back then. Now, nowadays, it might be realistic that the Russian teacher needed to learn Russian. But right. back then, they probably did know.
2: Right. Well, the, the other <laughs> sidebar lie is that um, Lee only spoke Russian with Marina, and that was torturous for Marina, according to Ruth Payne. So uh, when she came over, Ruth Payne, to help her, spoke nothing but Russian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one of the arguments that Ruth Payne said that was that Lee never let her learn or speak English. So I thought, OK, well, you'll come over to the house and learn yeah. how to speak English. But Ruth Payne never spoke anything but Russian to her. Oh didn't she speak the language of love? Oh sorry well, we'll get into that a little <laughs> later but, uh, you know. the 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 just the background on Ruth Payne I wanted to get into is because a lot of people have no idea who Ruth Payne is or what the deal is with her um, she came she was a Quaker uh, back east family raised in ohio um her father no no every single person in her family only is a spook her sister sylvia was actually in the uh, dc directory working at the cia as a psychologist in 1963. the father um i think his, his father was william avery uh hyde as ruth hyde was her was yeah there's a young ruth probably about 29 there um the father, William Avery Hyde, was OSS and then later uh, Agency for International Development going down to Central and South America on part of the as part of the CIA. And then her sister's husband was also AID and uh, a thing called the International Cooperative Alliance, which was another CIA front that featured a guy who's going to be a future episode uh, named George DeMar Uh from Poland. And DeMoren and his wife uh, are going to be important. There's George. He was Oswald's handler, along with his wife, up until the time he turns them over, the Oswalds, to um, Ruth Payne and Michael Payne, because George DeMoren has to go to Haiti to oversee a political event in Haiti and deal with uh George Bush uh George Bush's oil phony oil company uh in Haiti which Haiti. Is-
5: Incidentally Zapata is the oil f- company and that was named after a a uh, spy mission in Cuba in the Cuban area so Zapata they named it uh that Here's an interesting clip let's take a listen to this
4: Just north of Martha's Vineyard, off Cape Cod, lies Nishan Island. The seven-mile long island has been a privately owned getaway for the Forbes family for more than 150 years. Nishan Island is the stuff that conspiracy dreams are made of. Among the many members of the Forbes clan who have vacationed on the island over the years are Michael and Ruth Payne. Michael Payne's mother was a Forbes and he spent summers on Nishan Island since childhood. One of his mother's closest friends was a woman named Mary Bancroft. Bancroft was a spy and longtime mistress of CIA director Alan Dulles. Dulles and Bancroft were invited to stay on Nishan Island.
1: Mary Bancroft knew the pains intimately and saw Michael at a young age. And so she could turn to her partner, Alan Dulles, and tell him, you want some people on the left, I know some people on the left that could be a big help to you. So you got a direct line to the top of the CIA right there, which I think is the most telling thing of all of the Payne saga.
0: Nashawn Island was kind of a hideaway for these extraordinarily wealthy people, people with tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. Ruth Payne visited Nashon Island that summer of 1963, even though she's supposed to be estranged from her husband while you're making connections my mother-in-law
8: knew alan dulles so obviously there's a plot michael has a long list of relatives and
5: and goes back well she goes into the biography of that and it's all true and uh, let's take a listen to this clip here
0: Seven or eight days after the assassination, Ruth Payne says she has to return a couple of books to Marina. Out of nowhere, in one of those books, she accidentally finds this note, which the FBI turns into a piece of evidence about the Walker shooting. By the time that gets to the Warren Commission, this is supposed to be a precedent for Oswald shooting Kennedy.
8: If I hadn't taken that book to Marina, we might not even know that he had made the attempt on Walker. I was sending things to Marina and of course they looked through a book to see what might fall out and out fell this note that I didn't know was there. A couple of people from Secret Service came to me and said, Mrs. Payne, do you recognize this note? No, I didn't recognize it. Do I know the handwriting? No, didn't know the handwriting.
5: She had... So, you know, and then there's uh, also rumors that Marina and Ruth Payne were lovers which was an interesting thing. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. And there's just so much to this story. Um, there's also, uh, you know, I have so many uh, clips. I have a number of clips uh, that I could bring to you. And um, let's see, uh, I just that they run so long and there's, we only have an hour. That's uh, why it took me so long to try to present this case to you. Um, But here's uh, one other interesting clip. Let's take a listen.
2: But the original one uh, seized by Gus Rose from Dallas PD
5: is on
2: the evidence list. And the FBI and him get into a a fight to try to remove it from the evidence list. And this leads to that's the uh, yeah, that's my set that I have here. Um, But yeah, that's the actual photo from the evidence uh, room there in Dallas police headquarters. But my question is this, Michael Payne, why would Michael Payne have a Minox camera? He claims to have gone to these uh, right-wing rallies with Oswald that he said Oswald told him he was spying on these right-wing groups. Payne seems to have his own take on it. Uh, Did you get anything out of Michael when you spoke to him, or was he too far gone, Max?
4: Yeah, I I didn't get much out of Michael. I I only had a you know, about half an hour to talk to him. Um, it was uh, just a spur of the moment little interview, and he was he was already losing his his memory, right. so I I never got another chance to talk to him. the The whole Minox camera thing is so convoluted and yeah. complicated that it's just whether it's Oswald's or Michael's, which or is both, the, or both, yeah, the 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 official line now is that it was Michael's. Right. Well, that's. what is Michael Payne doing with the spy camera then? Right. Uh, I've also seen a picture that that looks a lot like Oswald that is supposed to be.
5: Yeah, and then there was supposed to be body doubles and double uh, actors uh, that played uh, the role of Oswald. And uh, you can go on and on with this stuff. Um, You know, there's a couple of other theories uh, that the shooter came from. The uh, Triple Underpass... In there was a truck that was there, um, but the you know, the main question that you have to put together here is: Do you trust your government? And you know, with the evolution of you know, we've already seen that they're willing to do MK Ultra, and with the evolution of new technologies, it used to be that oh, the computer is going to make our world better, and then all of a sudden it, it doesn't, right? And then now. They're using technology to seize your money and control your behavior and censor you. And that's how the, the, the world we're living in is becoming more and more virtual with every moment. Right. And then you throw in the addition of new technologies, a new generation of technologies like artificial intelligence. And if, the, you know, we saw what they're willing to do with MK Ultra. Well, artificial intelligence is the new frontier of MKUltra. And when these types of evolutions turn on you, it becomes even more devastating and something that we have to be very worried about in every way. Well, that brings us to the end of this uh, episode of uh, The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out... Magapack.org. Find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. Also, be sure to use Red State over at MyPillow.com as your promo code. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye, buddy.
3: We're a stand. The mounds getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there